0: Hello and welcome to Second Look. I'm your host, Benjamin Green, and this is the show where we pause and re-examine things going on and issues in politics and culture. So, about six months ago, I um, wrote a post on Medium.com. I'll link to it in the description if I remember to. And it talked about why I was leaving the conservative movement. Um, In this post, I asked people to stop calling me a conservative, to stop calling me a libertarian, stop labeling me. Um, I also, at that time, I deregistered as a Republican. I now have no party preference on my voter registration. And um, this came last September when I watched the first GOP debate. It made me so angry, um, the the primary debate. No, it made me so angry to see um, Donald Trump taken seriously. Uh, that was part of it. Also, it was just the same old... Stuff. Well, I think a lot of people like me are really angry with the GOP for doing the same old stuff all the time. For having... um, For not listening to the base. And this anger is what Donald Trump has tapped into. And a lot of people like Ted Cruz were calling it a good thing at the beginning of the election. Well, now, not so much. Because... By allowing Donald Trump specifically to be responsible for tapping into this anger this cycle, all those people who are angry are finding their political voice in an abhorrent candidate i I can't stand Donald Trump. I think he's a buffoon. I think he's in no way qualified, in no way um, dignified enough to be president. But it's looking like he's going to be the Republican nominee. Trump has defied expectations time and time and time again. And I have a couple friends who are Rubio fans who are still holding out hope. Um, Rubio has clearly rattled Trump this past week as he's levied some more personal attacks. But, But we're looking at the possibility of a president... Trump it's actually realistic a lot of the predictions about Trump were predicated on the fact that most of his base hasn't actually voted in the last few elections it's he his primary base is disaffected white voters Um, people who've lost manufacturing jobs over the last couple decades and he, he they weren't supposed to come vote is the long and short of it but they did And he keeps winning primaries and his support just keeps growing and growing. He almost, like, he pretty much seems inevitable at this point. I, I think this rise of Trump, um... Whether or not Trump is the nominee, Rubio could ride it all the way to a brokered convention and then seize the nomination on the floor. Or Rubio could drop out and Romney could jump in on the convention floor and seize the nomination. No matter what, I think this election is the death of the GOP. It may take a long time, um... For that death to actually make its way down, but the, but the roots of the GOP tree are dead. Uh, so even though the tree might stay standing for another ten election cycles, we don't know that the roots of it are almost dead. I I may be pushing this metaphor too much, but we'll say that they're they've been poisoned and there's no antidote in sight. Um. So what does that mean? It means that conservative voters are, uh, in large numbers, open to another party other than the Republican Party. If Trump seizes control of the Republican Party, he, if, if he is the nomination, he becomes the leader of the party. And then we have... A situation where the leader of a party is in direct opposition to things its candidates have run on. Donald Trump has said he likes the Obamacare mandate. He has said that he he's praised P- Planned Parenthood time and time again. He tells a story of being converted from pro-choice to pro-life, but I, I don't know much of anybody who isn't a trump voter who really believes it the way he tells it it's not as convincing as say mitt romney's transition and in actuality i think i personally think mitt romney was probably pandering the first time around (laughs) and he was probably pro-life the whole way but as we know mitt romney is a handover. Sorry, Stephen, but it's very true. But anyway, the, the leader of the party will have praised Planned Parenthood, praised the Obamacare mandate, um, has flip-flopped countless times on foreign policy, and he stands against free trade and against a whole bunch of other things that the Republican Party explicitly stands for. And, and not only the party mechanism, but the 30-some governors and the majority of elected officials in Congress, both houses, and in our state legislatures all around the country. So so what? how can a party like that stay alive? Well, if there's one institution that can live through it, it is a political party. Uh, politicians are want to save their own re save their own political power. So if something's going to survive being fractured time and time again, it is going to be a political party. But let's just say that Trump's the nominee and um, Clinton's the nominee and that there's no new party that starts. Who gets the votes that should have gone to Trump? Do Republicans fall in line behind him? Well, some of them, yes. I Reporters especially have, seem to think that a lot of Republicans will fall in line behind Trump. And I am inclined to think the same way. But... I know that this past week on Twitter, there Aaron Gardner started the trending topic on Twitter, hashtag NeverTrump. And this hashtag was about people who have said, look, I'm a Republican, or maybe not a Republican, I'm a conservative, and I will never vote for Donald Trump. If he's the election, I will never, if he's the nominee, I will never vote for him, even if... It means Hillary Clinton wins the election. Um, I am in this camp. I, I'd imagine a lot of people are. And that trending topic on Twitter, it lasted for, uh, I think, two days? Maybe it was just one day, but it had over half a million tweets, if I remember correctly. Marco Rubio has tweeted using the hashtag. Senator Ben Sass has said he will never support Trump. He will never vote for Trump. His choice, if given Trump and Clinton, is neither. Um, my favorite congressman, Justin Amash. Same thing. And Amash actually said it first, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> what, so what happens then? It, can we assume that people will stay home? Can we assume that people will get in line behind Trump? I am inclined to think that if we have a Trump-Clinton election, there's actually a legitimate chance for a third-party challenger not to win the presidency. That would be difficult. Very, very difficult. But to actually um, make a difference in the election. We'll we'll say the Constitution Party. Because um, the Constitution Party... So we have Republicans and Democrats, and then we have the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, and the Constitution Party. They're kind of the big three of the third parties. Um, So the Constitution Party is the only one of the third parties that is consistently pro-life. There are things the Constitution Party stands for that a lot of Republicans would disagree with. One of them being that it is strictly a non-interventionist party. But I think a lot of the pro-life vote, if there were a viable Constitution Party candidate, a lot of the pro-life vote might rally behind him or her because Trump is shaky at best. Um, Clinton is not ever going to be pro-life and we have supreme court justice nominations happening next cycle Um, at least one because i don't expect the gop senate to confirm whatever nominee president obama is going to recommend but we could have up to four our our next president, even if they only serve one term, could appoint up to four Supreme Court justices, which is just kind of crazy when you think about it. But we come to this situation where uh, Hillary Clinton, we know what she's going to do with the Supreme Court, and it's not going to be good for the pro-life cause. Donald Trump, we have absolutely no idea. He could get in there and nominate the most pro-life judge we've ever seen. He could get in there and nominate his sister. We, we have absolutely no idea. So what is a pro-life conservative to do? I say you vote for the most pro-life candidate. That way your conscience is clear. And even if it means... Uh, a Hillary Clinton presidency, then you pressure, you work um, to make sure you have good Senate candidates who will block any terrible nominee that Hillary Clinton is going to put forward. That's what I say. Um, and increasingly, I, I know I live in a little bit of a bubble by being on Twitter, and I know even within Twitter, I'm in a bubble of like conservative media, but increasingly on Twitter, it seems like a lot of people agree with that. Eric Erickson is a very prominent blogger and radio host in right wing evangelical circles. If you've if you're listening to this, you've probably heard of him. Uh, but just in case, he tweeted, I think it was just yesterday, that to all the people telling me that. Um, uh, vote for anyone other than Trump. <coughs> Excuse me. To all the people telling me that if it's a Trump-Clinton election and I don't vote for Trump, I'm getting Hillary Clinton elected, I say, I know. It's, the responsibility is on you to not nominate Trump. I think that's an interesting perspective. And I've mentioned before on this show that I have some friends who are hugely not Republicans, (laughs) voted third party for 20 years kind of people. And um, these friends and others I know on Twitter have long stood against the GOP as not being trustworthy. And I think this election cycle is proving them right. As Eric Erickson says, it's on you not to nominate Trump. Well, guess what it's looking like the GOP is going to do? Nominate Trump. You can blame um, racism. You can blame uh, all sorts of things for the rise of Trump. Everyone has their own little take. But at its core... I think what most people are missing is that it is anger. The reason Trump has such support is that people are mad at the GOP. Period. Full stop. It's not because he's not politically correct. It's not because he wants to build a wall. It's not any of those things. It just I I mean, those things add to it, certainly. But the core of his support is from angry people. People who are angry at the GOP, people who are angry at Congress, people who feel like they have no voice in government. This happened with President Obama in 2008, then-Senator Obama. He tapped into people's anger, really, at... Not necessarily the party establishment, but the the government establishment. He was elected as a hope and change candidate. Well, it's interesting because the people that President Obama alienated are now rallying against him and pushing a hope and change candidate in Donald Trump. So, what do we do with this if we know that anger is what what is causing Trump's rise how do we stop him i am of the mindset that we can't that it's too late we maybe could have stopped Trump we maybe couldn't have but i think at this point he is inevitable so marco rubio's take these last couple weeks, I guess just this week, since the last debate, is that he needs to out-Trump Trump. He's been going at him with the personal insults. And it appears to be working somewhat. It it, it seems to have rattled Trump, knocked him off his game a little bit. I, for one, don't like it. I think it's inappropriate for a presidential candidate to personally insult um, their opponents. This has been happening. I'm, I'm not... Ignorant this has been happening since election number three, but um <laughs> I'm not a fan of Marco Rubio's response. A lot of people, if I had a wider a speaker a wider audience uh if more people listen to this show, I might get some backlash for saying this. I think the best response to Trump is to wait. I think that since Trumpism is fueled by anger, there's there's perhaps nothing more motivating than anger. Um, even if you really love something... It's really hard to get people rallied around a good cause. It's really easy to get people rallied around an angry cause. But I think that Trumpism will fade as um, the Tea Party movement faded, as the Occupy movement faded. Um, I really think our best response is to just wait. Wait. So what happens? I mean, what if we end up with President Clinton or President Trump? Uh, let me tell you what I'm going to do. As a Christian, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for our president. I'm going to pray for our Senate. I'm going to pray for um, specifically good Supreme Court nominees. I'm going to be doing a lot of prayer come November. Um, what What do we then do... Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you um, don't think that God intervenes in politics. So what, what are we going to do then? Well, let me tell you what we're going to do. You and I are going to work together. We are going to support good candidates for elected office. We are going to um, talk to our friends and family and keep spreading good ideas. We're going to... Just keep doing what we've been doing for the last... For me, it's the last four years. For you, maybe it's the last 40. I don't know. This brings me back to um, what I mentioned at the beginning, and that's six months ago, my piece on Medium. I really wanted to put distance between myself and the conservative movement because the conservative movement was ultimately frustrating and useless. And I talked about uh just last last episode or maybe the one before my struggle to find a new word to describe myself because I don't fit in with conservatives and I don't fit in with libertarians. Well, the the label has grown less stressful to me over the last 6 months. I am Just like I said a moment ago, no matter who the next president is, we're just going to get up and keep doing the same thing. We're going to work for a brighter future for this country. If that's what being part of the conservative movement means, count me in. If being part of the conservative movement means trying to advance the GOP, if being part of the conservative movement means being lumped in with people like Ann Coulter, if I I hate to single people out specifically, but I she's probably the person who frustrates me the most out of anybody in the whole entire political scene right now. If being part of the conservative movement means I'm going to be associated with um, politics of anger and disunity, count me out. But if it's working together for... Uh, a brighter future, a future that respects our history, a future that respects our Constitution, then count me in. And just one last note on the prospect of a Trump presidency. First of all, we have this awesome institution called the Electoral College. And it gets a bad rap because there have been a handful of elections where it has supposedly, given a bad result. Well, let me tell you something about the Electoral College. If Donald Trump wins this election in November, the Electoral College could go in there and vote for somebody else. (laughs) I mean, that'd be pretty cool. In some states, that would be illegal, But it is another check, another balance that um, our founders put into the Constitution. And it's a genius thing, really. Let me tell you, my dream election scenario here is, uh, a, uh, excuse me, uh, Trump, Sanders, Bloomberg, and then a Constitution Party candidate finish in the top four. Election gets thrown to the House of Representatives because nobody gets a majority in the Electoral College, and then the House of Representatives votes and elects the Constitution Party candidate. That is my dream scenario here. Do I think it's realistic? No. But hey, a man can dream, right? I just almost said a girl can dream, right? I don't don't know where that came from. Uh... All right, moving on. the The checks and balances our founders put in place, I feel secure in them. We've seen throughout our history what bad presidents can do. Um, we've We've seen that it is important to elect good presidents, but if Congress is decent and uh, actually does their job, then. We'll be in good shape, no matter who our president is. And even if, heaven forbid, the United States of America, the federal government, just completely and utterly collapses, another genius thing about the way our founders set up our system is we all have a government at a state level. And if the federal government just died tomorrow, we'd still be okay. So... I guess the whole point of this episode is to say, Trump's inevitable, but don't lose heart. (laughs) That's my take on this crazy, crazy 2016 election. Um, This episode should be going live on Super Tuesday, so yeah, if you live in a Super Tuesday state, go vote. Make good choices. Um... Have, take heart, friend. I, (laughs) I'm running out of things to say, so I think we're just gonna wrap the episode here. thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Second Look make sure you check out the other Outset podcasts at OutsetMagazine.com or in iTunes where you can subscribe to them um, make sure you don't miss a single episode and I hope you'll rate this episode with 5 stars if you enjoyed it you can follow me on Twitter, at BGreenAZ, or Outset Magazine, at Outset Magazine, and also make sure to give a follow to my awesome editor, at Stephen with a PH underscore Perkins. He's kind of the brains of the whole Outset operation there. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I hope it was an encouragement to you, especially if you've been feeling particularly depressed by this election. Well, that about does it for today. We'll see you next time.